each and every day we get upon this earth is soaked with meaning and purpose. The challenge is we get so used to the routine, so lulled by the mundane, our days start to blend together and fade with familiarity. If we're not careful, we can look back and realize we've wasted what we've been given. But if we could begin to understand the brevity of this life, the eternal implications of how we live now, we can start to live our lives with deeper purpose and urgency. Each day becomes a possibility for purpose. Each moment becomes an opportunity for meaning. The book of James calls us to live out this brief moment we've been given upon this earth with wisdom, with urgency, with significance. It beckons you, don't waste your life. My name is Russell Woods. I'm on the pastoral staff here. Um, something's going on today. There's like a football thing out there. Was it? Oh, Father's Day. That's what it is. Okay. Sorry. I am a dad, so I do jad, dad jokes up here. So you got to roll with that a little bit. You guys okay? Doing okay this morning? Okay. Hey, happy Father's Day um, to the fathers in the room. Biological fathers, adoptive fathers, spiritual fathers, fathers of faith. Thank you. Seriously, from Rise for our community, we love you. We're so grateful for you. So thank you. Um, today, we are doing a sermon. I'm doing a sermon. You're listening to a sermon about fatherhood and masculinity. About fatherhood and masculinity. And it kind of ties into James, and that is wisdom for fatherhood and masculinity. But I'm not going to have you open James. Does that make sense? So we're kind of continue on. It's kind of in wisdom. It's kind of standalone, but that is what we are doing today. When Jason asked me if I would preach on Father's Day, first of all, I was very honored, but the Spirit of God, before I could process, just said, yes, yes, I want to do that. I want to preach on Father's Day. And I said yes quickly. The Spirit of God probably in me said yes quickly because my heart burns for the Father's of our day. My heart burns for the fathers of our time. You see, fatherhood is a gift from God. Amen? amen. You can say amen. I give you permission to say amen today. Amen. Fatherhood is a gift from God because masculinity is, in its purest form, a gift from God. Being a man, being a male, is a gift from God. That's pretty radical in our day, but that's so true. Being a man can and should is meant to be a gift from God. In Genesis 1, when God creates man and woman, what does he say of it? Very good. It is very good that you are a woman and it is very good that you are a man. But very good is not exactly how I would describe masculinity in our time. And from my own heart and from my own journey, very good is not how I would describe my own journey as a man. Anyone else? Anyone else? My heart burns for the fathers of our time because men 
and fathers and boys in our time are dying. Our bodies are being killed, but before our bodies go, our souls and our hearts are dying. You probably all know the statistics, but we are in a crisis of masculinity. I'll read a few. 70% of drug overdoses are men. 80% of suicides are men. 99.9% of school shooters are men. 93% of federal prison incarcerations are men. Only 32% of men are in higher education. I actually don't think that's too bad. <clears throat> but that's a different sermon. But I'm not even touching on fatherlessness, anxiety, and depression in men. Those are the numbers. Now let's get to the narrative that I think is often behind the numbers. The narrative that we are being men or becoming men in our time, I think loosely is this. The main narrative is this. There's no such thing as men. But being a man is bad. Is that fair? There's no such thing as men, and being one is bad. Kind of like, I don't believe in God, but I'm angry at him. <laughs> the future is female, and men can be women. So if the future's female, I'll stop there. I'll stop there. That is the narrative. That's one side of the narrative. That's the main narrative. Now let's swing to the other side. The red pill side. Red pill masculinity. You are more, manhood exists, but you're more of a man with more women you sleep with, more things you accumulate, more wealth in your bank account. That equals more man. I don't like that either. My friends, God doesn't want men in drag, and he also doesn't want men dragging down their communities in violence. God doesn't want red pill, he wants pure. God doesn't want gender confusion, he wants gender glory. He wants gender glory. So here's what I want to do today. I want to speak to the men in this family, in our community. And I want to do so maybe in a different way. You see, there's a saturated market in the pastoral space where guys like me on days like this yell at guys like you. I'm not going to do that today. Now, let me, let me speak to that for a second. Sometimes as men, we need that. There's something about that drill instructor yelling in your face that will form you into something you couldn't be without him yelling. But I'm not going to do that today. Because if you're like me, when it comes to your masculinity, the loudest, most disappointed voice is usually my own. Anyone else? The loudest, most disappointed voice is usually my own. John Eldridge coins this phrase, unfinished men. Most of the time, I feel like an unfinished man. 
I know I'm never going to be perfect, but I think there's something missing in me. I feel like an unfinished man. So often, more often than not, the loudest, most disappointed voice when I think of myself as a man is my own. If you're like me, glory and very good are not how I would describe my masculine journey so far. So here's what I want to do today. Two things. So really simple in, in its format. I want to present six stages or pathways where God is fathering us as men in our masculinity. These are not formulas. Everyone say out loud, these are not formulas. Good, then we'll have no problems. Good. I want to give you six stages of life or formation where God is forming us as men. And the second thing I want to do is simply to encourage you. I don't want to yell at you today. I want to, you to leave here encouraged as a man. Now, a preface to the ladies in our community. Um, I'm mostly talking to the men today, but I promise there are things in here that apply to you that will help you in your life and your spirituality. But I want to ask you today to listen as champions of your brothers in our family. Is that okay? I think... <laughs> In our cultural moment, both men and women are in crisis, but men right now, it's critical. If we're both in the waiting room of the ER, men are going to go in first because it's critical right now, okay? Not because I can't say anything to the ladies, but because what's going on in the world of men today is critical. Is that okay? So can I just invite you to listen as champions of your brothers, your sons, your husbands today? Sound good? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that yes. <laughs> now I can proceed. Six pathways or stages of masculinity I want to present to you today. Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest in your souls. I grew up in central Washington, and I grew up snowboarding and hiking out in the snow. If you've ever hiked in the snow, you know that when you find a pathway, you find footprints, those are a gift. Else you are making your own every step, right? That is all I'm doing today. I'm going to give you a, some pathways, some footsteps and you will look at some of the things I'm saying. You'll say, no, I'm going to go this way, and I'll tread my own way. But hopefully, you'll be able to just walk in some footsteps today to a pathway of masculinity that gives you peace and joy and glory. Okay? Stage number one, boyhood. Stage number one is boyhood. Childhood for a boy is critical for that boy to become a man. Boyhood, the stage of boyhood is not a throwaway stage. It is a critical stage in the process of a boy one day becoming a man. It is in boyhood when you climb trees. It is in boyhood where you painfully strum on guitars and beat pots and thinking you're in the band. It is in boyhood where you imagine 
you're the good guy, you're the hero, and you're saving those around you from the bad guys. There's something of God in that. I remember when I was in kindergarten, when I was a boy, we had this, the boys on the playground, we created this competition where whoever would swing the highest gets to win one of the girl's hands in marriage. <laughs> and a lot of you ladies are saying, like, that's not a bad, that's not a bad system. Um, but I remember this deep competition with us boys. Of course, we never told the girls any of the results because we were scared to talk to the girls. But among the boys, we had it settled because whoever could swing the highest and jump off the highest, they get to win the girl's hand, theoretically, okay? But it was at that stage of competition and imagination where God is birthing something. It's not throw away. He's actually at work in those silly stages of being a boy. You see, God is fostering imagination in a boy. Sadness and silliness, tickles and tears need to be safe for a boy. Emotions are the primary language of childhood. And when emotions get cut short in the time of, a, when the boyhood season gets cut short, so does the emotional accessibility of the man. But more than anything else, the time of the boy is for establishing security in the soul. Security in the soul. In the world of men, men subconsciously are asking this question, do I have what it takes? But in the world of the boy, am I beloved? Boys and girls ask the same question, am I beloved? Am I prized? Am I noticed and seen? Am I lovable beyond any usefulness or utility? Am I loved and adored just for who I am? I don't know if any of you have kids. When your kids play or do something cool, the thing they're doing doesn't matter unless you are seeing it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Dad, look at this. Look at this. Yeah, I see you're, you're jumping off the playset. That's great. Awesome. Okay, you've been doing that for two hours. Great. No, your kids need to be seen. Being seen, being beloved, being prized is what they need, and boys need that too. And what you will learn, or what you should learn as a boy is this, I am loved, God loves me, I am not alone, I am a son, and I am worthy of love. Jan Bovenmar says this, Jesus had the heart of a son. He looked on God as Abba, his dear father. This was his secret his joy, a constant awareness, a basic attitude that determined his behaviors. Now, I wonder, if you're like me, if you grew up in a home like mine, your boyhood was cut short, and you had to grow up a little too quickly. And I wonder, for some of you men, what would happen in your soul, in the feeling of being secure, 
If you paused for a season asking yourself, do I have what it takes, and began to ask yourself, am I worthy of God's love? Because you are. Am I beloved is the source of security, not do I have what it takes. You guys okay? You doing okay? All right. Stage two. This is my favorite stage, the stage of the cowboy. The stage of the cowboy. I have some, some ages attached to these. These are not formulas. They're loose, and often there is overlap. But generally, the stage of the cowboy in a boy is from 12 to 20. For me, the stage of a cowboy can be summed up in the quote from the great American abolitionist Frederick Douglass, there is no struggle. Where there is no struggle, there is no progress. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. In the stage of a cowboy, two things are happening. You're learning to adventure, and you're learning hard work. Both hard work and adventure. When David is anointed king before he is king, he comes to the armies of the, of the, um, the battle of the Philistine between the Israelites and the Philistines, and Saul is king. I don't know if you know the story. This is before he kills Goliath. This is what David says to Saul. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, <laughs> this is good, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I, now I'm a young adult's pastor. I think this word works, but that's what we call swagger. Okay? That's a little swagger for you. Let me speak to the young men in our community for a bit, though. As you hear that, do you think David, in that process, lost any lambs? When I, I'm not an outdoors kind of guy, but when I envision a bear picking up a lamb or a lion, I think the lamb might die. <laughs> Is that fair? Do you think David lost any lambs? Yeah. Young men in this family, you are going to lose lambs. You are going to fail. But losing lambs is part of one day killing a Goliath. You are going to fail, and failure is a part of becoming the man God is calling you to be. I talk to young men a lot, and so many, and I've been here as a young man myself, so many are crippled by a fear of failure. So many of us men, even beyond the, the cowboy stage, were crippled by a fear of failure. But it will take for some of us to own the fact 
that some lambs have to die before we can kill our Goliaths. Some lambs will have to die. Um, I'm not a big basketball guy, but I saw this quote recently. Nikola Jokic. Am I getting that right, guys? Okay. Apparently he won something big in basketball recently. Is that true? Okay. This is what he said, okay? If you want to be successful, you need to be bad. Then you need to be good. Then when you're good, you need to fail. And when you fail, you are going to figure it out. Just end the sermon right there. That's really good. I saw that on Facebook of all places last week. I was like, all right, that's the spirit. All right, I don't watch basketball. That's the spirit of God. Here we go. You need to fail. You're going to figure it out. The last quote I'll give you in this section here is African proverb. I hear, I forget. I see, I remember. I do, I understand. There's no better quote that describes me and board games as well as the rest of life. Don't tell me how to play the game. Just let me do it and I will figure it out. Doing is part of understanding. Stumbling forward in obedience is still obedience. You are going to fail, and that is okay. You have what it takes in the Lord if you're in this stage. Stage three is the warrior. Stage three is the warrior. Psalm 45, David talking of the Lord. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Exodus 15, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Isaiah 42, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. We don't talk about God and Jesus much in this way, but Jesus flipped over tables in his zeal. And one day Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead, and he will come back on a war horse with a sword. We don't talk about Jesus in this way much, but he absolutely represents a warrior in the realm between good and evil, light and dark. He is a warrior. It is in the stage of the warrior in a young man's life where two mantras begin to root. I will not let evil have its way, and I will stand in the gap. I will not let evil have its way, and I will stand in the gap. That's a warrior I can get behind. In the warrior, God is working to remove the innate passivity in all of us men to be overrided by the call for justice and what is good. If you know anything about any history with World War II, you'll know the transition from prime minister to prime minister between Neville Chamberlain 
and Winston Churchill. Neville Chamberlain was on the front end of Nazi Germany's rise, and Hitler would keep invading country after country, and Chamberlain dug in saying, no, we will we'll come to peaceful um, way to figure this out, peaceful negotiations to stop Hitler. But then Hitler kept invading country after country after country. And Churchill became the man for the hour because he was willing to embrace the inevitable conflict that was coming. I don't know if Churchill really said this, but in the movie, The Darkest Hour, they're in the same war cabinet together. And Chamberlain is still pushing for peaceful negotiations between Hitler. And Churchill says, you cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. This is why the warrior stage in a boy's development is so important, because there are things in life that have to be fought for. There are things in life that absolutely have to be fought for. Your marriage has to be fought for. Your children have to be fought for. Meaningful friendships, your purity, beauty, truth, and goodness, family, church, and mission, all of it has to be fought for. The best things in life have to be fought for. I remember our, our first year of marriage, which actually, our first year, for first year of marriage was very good, but we had one really big fight, Amy and I. And I remember we were in it. We were going at it, removing sin from the other person, right? Because <laughs> marriage is about holiness, not happiness. And we were moving towards holiness. And of course, when I say we're moving towards holiness, I had to apologize in the end as, as it goes. But I remember we, we were so... It was so normal for us to fight for our marriage already. We went to a restaurant on a date night and the fight was continuing. We're hashing out things. We order our food and we're in the middle of the climax of the argument. We're, we're almost there, we're almost through it. And the food has been sitting there now for 20 minutes, haven't taken a bite. And our poor waitress comes up and she's just horrified like, is something wrong with your food? I just look at her and say, no, we're just fighting. <laughs> and I remember that look on her face like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then we both had a good laugh. <laughs> but the best things in life have to be fought for. The best things in life have to be fought for. Men and women in this room who represent healthy marriages have fought for healthy marriages. The deepest friendship you are longing for will only happen through a few good fights. The good things God is doing in this family, in this church, will have to be guarded, will have to be fought for. There's this uncomfortable reality that we do not talk about much, that men, because we have an innate warrior in us, have an innate aggression. 
And that aggression has to be channeled to defend and protect and preserve peace for the good things in your life. And men, let me say something to you today to encourage you or exhort you. The warrior in you should never be used against your wife or your kids or your family. Your kids and your wife and the people you love should feel safe because of your warrior, not afraid. But the warrior is a gift. Point it in the right direction. Stage four, the lover. You can giggle. We're in church. It's okay. The lover. (laughs) The stage of the lover for men actually does not necessitate falling in love with a woman, but often the lover in a man comes fully alive when we fall in love with a woman. In the church, we talk a lot about truth, goodness, and beauty, but often men who have not developed the lover within them will often be fine with goodness, often fight for truth, but will not know how to relate to beauty. Often will not know how to relate to beauty. Underdeveloped lovers in men lead to men believing the lie that anything artistic, beautiful, emotive, or subjective is less manly. Tell that to David, who killed his enemies by the ten thousands with his bare hands, who wrote poems and songs and danced before the Lord. As God develops men in the stage of the lover, men can learn to cry and grieve and not feel anything lesser about themselves as a man. Men can learn to play and be silly with their children. Men can be okay to be moved when they encounter transcendent beauty. When the lover in a man is underdeveloped, specifically in their relationship with God, we will often be excited by theological truth, but miss the intense relational love of God. So many men, this is my story too, we know a lot of things about God, but our souls have not been transformed by deeply, transformationally, experientially knowing him. To really know God is to know him as the lover of your soul, men. To really know God is to know him as the lover of of your soul. We're all about theology here. I'm all about the theological textbooks. But when you stand at the base of Mount Hood, when the wind whips sand in your face at the Oregon coast, when you hold your child for the first time, these moments are moments with God and from God that you can only experience with him. Open to beauty open to beauty. Listen to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He says this, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, 
Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed by one, like one of these. This is a call from Jesus to know God simply through beauty. To know God simply through beauty. If you cannot hold space in your soul for beauty, there will be a gap in your soul knowing God. John Eldridge says this, No woman wants to be analyzed, and many marriages fail because the man insists on treating her as a problem to be solved rather than a mystery to be known and loved. Ladies, keep it together. Don't say amen. (laughs) But that is so many of us, for us guys, we're missing our relationship with God in the same way. A mystery to be known and loved, not a puzzle to be figured out. Stage five, the king. You guys doing okay? Doing all right? Okay, don't tell me you're not because I don't know what to do if you say, if you say that. So, <laughs> Stage five is the king. Again, loosely these ages, 40s to 60s. As men, we are meant to be kings. Also, women, you are meant to be queens. Read Genesis 1. Second Samuel 5. And David knew that the Lord had established him as a king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. God made David a king for the sake of others. Tyrants use power to push others down, but a king uses power to lift others up. Men, we are meant to be kings. We are meant to be kings. Are you a father of a household, a manager of a department, owner of a business, coach of a team? Do you hold any influence In life whatsoever, you are meant to be a king. Kings hold influence, money, and power. And the way you use those things for the people in your kingdom define your kingship. But you are meant to be a king. Now, a godly king in a man is a heart always yielded before God. A godly king in a man kneels before God always. And the beautiful thing about kneeling before God always is that he picks you up and raises you even higher. But here's why the king is so important in understanding our development as men. So many of us men come to faith because we know we need to be forgiven of our sins. But if that is your faith, what a boring faith. God is trying to not only forgive you, but transform you into the king you are meant to be. Forgiveness is the starting point, but it is not the end. You are meant to be transformed into a king. You are sons of the king, Jesus. You are heirs to the kingdom he is building. And you are meant to be kings. Jesus, as king, brings order out of chaos. Kings bring security and flourishing to those in their kingdom. 
And I wonder what would happen in Gresham, in our space, if men in our family saw themselves as kings trying to bring order out of chaos. What would that do in your family, in your business, in our city? If we were creating little kingdoms of flourishing to fight the kingdoms of darkness all around us. Stage six is the stage of the sage. I had to practice saying that a lot. <laughs> the stage of the sage. The glory of young men is their strength, but gray hair is the splendor of the old. In the stage of the sage, in this season of life, we are called to give away our kingdoms. We are called to give away our responsibilities, our kingdoms, our roles to the kings coming behind. Your responsibility in the sage stage is meant to shrink, but your influence is meant to multiply. Your influence as a sage is meant to multiply. And can I just say, this, sa this stage is wasted so often in timeshares in Florida. <laughs> I'm not against timeshares in Florida, but sages, we need you. Good Lord, we need you. This stage is also often wasted when a sage will not relinquish power and authority and give it away and embrace their need for presence over position. The sage is Gandalf to Frodo. <laughs> the sage is Yoda to Luke. And sages, we don't need you on our backs like Yoda. It's a little creepy. <laughs> but we do need you. Watch the movie. You'll understand it, okay? We desperately need the sages in our community. And here's the thing. Sages come with wisdom and expertise. That's great. But a sage is needed for your presence. If you've been walking with Jesus for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, your presence is the win, nothing else. Experts give answers, sages give presence. We need the presence of our sages who have walked with God for a long time just to be with us. Can I tell you that young people in our day, we have no clue what's going on. We have no clue how to navigate the world we're facing. And let me humbly say this, you don't either, but we need your presence. We need you in our corner. We need you showing us the love of God that you have experienced through the years and reminding us of his faithfulness as we face the peril as the heroes of our stories. We need you, sages. So here is my call today. Six stages of development, they all have overlap, and God is trying to do something in every man in every stage. My call today for the men of our community is let God 
father you. God, who is the good and perfect father, let him father you. You see, a truth about masculinity that we do not know about in the West is that manhood is something that is handed down. It is handed down from men to boys becoming men. So many of us have missed that. Let God father you and let God fill in the gaps and give you your masculinity. Are there gaps in your journey today? Gaps in the cowboy. You don't believe you have what it takes. Crippled by a fear of failure. Let God tell you he is with you and you do have what it takes with him. Gaps in the warrior. Passivity towards your life, your health, your career, your family. Let God allow you to begin to fight for those things. The lover. Are you afraid or uncomfortable with emotions or knowing God in the emotive way? Let God release your emotions and teach you for the first time that they are not bad and they are not lesser in the world of men. Gaps in your kingship. Are you shy of your power as a man? Or do you use that power for selfish gain? Let God teach you again that power is not wrong. It needs to be used to serve those who are under you. Gaps as a sage. Do you not believe you have anything to offer? Let God confront the lie of the enemy and let his presence remind you that you are needed. And lastly, are there gaps in the boy? where you don't believe that God could love a man like you. Let me remind you of what Jesus said, Jesus heard from his father before he had done any work. Men of rise, you are God's beloved sons in whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased. Let God father you today. We live in a world where everyone is saying everything about what it is to be a man. Let God father you and let our family just show the world what godly men are. Let's stop the talk and let's just show the world around us this is what godly men are like. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. So many of us men are walking towards you, towards your call in our lives with limps. Limps in our journey as men. And God, the beautiful thing about you as our Father is you are gently, sweetly, always there to fill the gaps. 
I pray today if any men today need healing or affirmation in any part of that journey, Holy Spirit, would you do ministry here today? God, we long as men to walk with you. Unashamed and in closeness and love. Show us the way to become men. Show us the way, Jesus. We are desperate, we feel lost, and we need you to show us the way. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.